Welcome to another episode of the Arrive podcast, the U.S. immigration podcast for Canadians. Today we were we are going to be discussing uh, the question: What if you don't qualify for a TN visa, or what if your profession isn't a match for one of the TN professions under the USMCA list of occupations? We run into this question on a regular basis because we speak to Canadians that want to work in the U.S. daily, and they want to know whether or not they qualify for a TN visa, and if they don't qualify, what what are their options now? And the professions list is pretty narrow. There's 63 professions on there. If your profession isn't listed, that's, that's the number one thing that people can run into. They say, you know what, I looked over that professions list, and my profession is not listed there. Now what do I do? That could, I think it most commonly occurs for individuals that may be in executive level positions. Mm-hmm. Hey, I'm the vice president. Of, I've been hired as vice president of operations. That's not on the USMCA professions list. So how do I work in the U.S.? Or, right, it, or, or, you know, the multiple IT professions that aren't on the list because it was drafted so long ago. That may, like a project manager's project managers are not on there either. Data scientists. Data scientists. Yeah. There could be also a financial analyst, mm-hmm. right? Where we've been clearly told by USCIS and CBP that that no longer qualifies under the economist category. So you could be in a profession that is not listed there. And there are many professions that aren't. There's thousands of professions that aren't listed under the USMCA professions list. Right. And now with this hot job market in the United States, you know, there's going to be a lot of positions out there you may qualify for, but the position just doesn't qualify for a TN to get you that visa that you want to get in here. So what do you do? Yeah. And one thing I'm going to say what you don't do before we (laughs) go to what do you do? What don't you do? Try to call yourself something you're not. And we see that a lot. Mm -hmm. Hey, I know I'm not, I know I'm not a, Management consultant. I know I'm I know a project a, manager. Well, I know I don't qualify I, as a can CEO. I qualify, can I fit under that category? Yeah. Yeah, I know I'm I, I'm in a managerial position and there aren't managerial roles or marketing roles or sales roles under the USMCA. Well, how about I just call myself a management consultant? Would that work? Eh, wrong answer. That That's a bad idea. If you are trying to create a position for yourself and calling yourself something you really are not, that... That could be very problematic. No, not only could it be problematic, but it could get you into severe trouble if you are lying or preparing paperwork in order to to misrepresent at the port of entry to for sole purposes of obtaining a work visa. And That's, we've seen people get bars for that before, where all they, the time, where they you know go to an interview and they've got paperwork that says they're one thing and they're actually another thing and. Um, you know, the position's actually something entirely different. And the, the officers are very, they're very good at figuring that out. And especially if you're a consultant people. and you yeah. look at, you're applying as a consultant, they'll look at your resume, <laughs> they'll, they'll look yeah. at your job history and they'll say, oh, you've they'll only held this LinkedIn. type of role forever. Uh, they'll look at your LinkedIn and, you know, they'll look at your company and see whether or not that's the kind of, kind of company that would hire a consultant if you, uh, with your background. They're very savvy. So you got to be careful. Yeah. Not to say you don't qualify as a consultant or the position may not be that of a consultant, but make sure and verify before you try to pull mm-hmm. that um, because you, you chances are they will catch you in that. Right. So what do you do if you don't qualify? Well, you have the other two. So maybe your profession doesn't qualify, right? Right. That's one. But 
what if you're on the professions list and your education doesn't qualify, right? Oh, your right. education may not qualify either. In in the USMCA professions list is very narrow as far as your education and qualifications as well. That applies a lot to computer systems analysts, I find. From from India, yeah. right? Where oh, they get or a th- from any you know any foreign degree where it's a three year bachelor's degree or even it's a Canadian three years bachelor's or degree. Experience only, right? There's yeah. a lot of people. In computer professions who got a bunch of Microsoft certificates or whatever it might be. Or they be have a bachelor's degree in psychology or some other background educationally, but they've been working in IT for 20 years. And so they don't qualify. Why? Because the qualifications are very narrow. If you don't have that bachelor's degree in computer science or uh, a diploma or certificate from the United States, Canada, or Mexico, plus three years experience, it's very, very narrow. Very specific, if you don't have yeah. that, then you don't qualify as per the USMCA, but you may qualify for an H-1B. Why? Because there's different rules. Why do they have different <laughs> rules? I don't know why they don't use the same <laughs> standards. It's very, I, I have no idea why, but. Well, I know why. It's because you're qualifying people now from around the world, right? So TNs are only for Mexican and Canadian citizens. And so the requirements are specific to things that those citizens of those countries would have, where the H-1B is available to everybody around the world. It doesn't matter what your nationality is. So the requirements are more varied. Well, in it, but even then, it doesn't make sense because this was written in the 90s, right? What, the, the USMCA? I mean, yeah, the NAFTA? The, the NAFTA yeah. that was adopted by the USMCA, right? Yeah. And you could... you could only have certificates and education or and experience and you're fully qualified for a computer systems analyst role but as per the USMCA you only can have certain education whereas if you apply that same education those certificates and experience and it equates to at least 12 years of experience in the field they'll accept you for an H1P but they won't accept you for a TN so that for those reasons you may not qualify for that TN, right? Because either your profession's not on there or for whatever reason, your education isn't a match under the USMCA, but you could apply that same profession, that same, those same qualifications, and it would qualify and you for an, H-1B. for an H-1B. So yeah. on that, well, what is an H-1B? So the H-1B is a visa classification, and this is worldwide, like Christine, like you just said, it's available to citizens of the world um, that want to work in the United States and have a U.S. employer that's going to petition them in the position, and this is how they classify an H-1B. It must be a specialty occupation. What is a specialty occupation? By definition, a specialty occupation is one that requires a bachelor's degree or higher for entry into the profession. So it has to require at a minimum to do that job, you you have to have at least a bachelor's degree. You cannot do the profession without anything less than a bachelor's degree or the equivalent. Right. And the equivalent, they have an equation that for every three years of work experience equals one year of degree. So if you have 12 years of experience in the field, you can get that evaluated to equate to a four-year degree in the field, and you can still qualify based on that. And when they're doing that calculation, they'll also take into account certifications, diplomas, even partial uh, credit, De- if degree partial degrees. Yeah. yeah. So if you did a year or three years, then they'll count that towards towards uh, the evaluation. So unlike the TN, there's more than one way to skin this cat. You can 
make you can cobble together experience with part parts of a degree. You can rely solely on experience. You can rely solely on degree. Um, you can have you know maybe two degrees that can be combined to the equivalent of a bachelor's degree. Yep. Um, there are different approaches you can use with this visa that aren't available for TN applicants. Yeah, so I would say as far as flexibility goes, H-1B is far more flexible with what you can do with it versus the TN. Sure, and TN I mean the professions, I think the professions list is you know very limiting for the TN, um, and Out it doesn't day, apply to the limited, H-1B. Yeah. You know, as long as that position requires you to have a bachelor's degree or equivalent to perform it, then it qualifies. It doesn't have to be on a specific list anywhere. Exactly. And there are some other factors that need to be considered for an H-1B that make it a, a little bit more complicated than the TN. We're not going to go into all of those factors. Right now, we're just talking about, you know, if you don't qualify for that TN, you may qualify for an H-1B. Um, one of the main problems with the H-1B. Now, I love the <laughs> H-1B. I love it because it is because it can be applied, you know, across all professions, all you know, jobs, it's... And people it's, of all nationalities. And all nationalities. Yeah. Anyone can, it, as long as it meets that specialty occupation, then you, you can get an H-1B. Um, so that's what makes it great. It's far more flexible. Now... But because of that, it's also far more competitive to get one. Worldwide, right? So you're competing with, yeah, nationals of every country in the world and not just nationals of... And there's, there's limits. I mean, I think that's the big factor here is there's limits on the number that each year can be awarded. And they have a lottery because it is limited. Um, and the lottery is run every March. So right now we're in the middle of the lottery. The lottery opens last year and this year. It's been similar. The, this, the way they run the lottery now is different than they did in the past. They made great changes to it. Um, you used to have to submit an entire petition and all the fees and everything up front to figure out whether you got in the lottery. Now it's, strictly a lottery you just pay a fee to enter that lottery and if you're chosen then you can move forward with the h1b process oh we should be clear there it's the employer that registers you for the lottery you so cannot self-petition right. for it it has to be through an employer correct so your employer would enter you into the lottery and when that lottery's run it this this year it's uh your entry was between march 1st and march 18th mm -hmm. to get into that lottery now right as we discuss this the lottery is being run um, and it ends on the 31st. We actually received notification over the weekend that a few of our employers that did put their hat into the lottery uh, had some chosen. So some selections are already happening right now for the H-1B lottery. After, and now you cannot submit a petition for an H-1B unless you've been selected into the lottery first. Okay, that has to be done. You can't just say, hey, I want an H-1B and submit a, submit a petition because, like Christine said, there's limited numbers of H-1Bs available each year. And there are some exceptions to that. If you've already been issued an H-1B visa or if you're working for certain government institutions or, or institutions of higher education, then you're not subject to the lottery. Um, vast majority of people, however, are subject to the lottery. And you must go through that lottery first and be selected. Now, let's say you've been selected to the lottery. Now what? Now you got to file your petition. Just because you were selected doesn't mean you've been approved for the visa. It just means now you can make your case for the visa. You you were you were given a number and now you can take that number and use it to submit the petition and argue that your 
that the position you've been offered would qualify as a specialty occupation and therefore grant you an H-1B visa. So uh, the lottery is just the first very small step in the process. All of the arguing, all of the petition, the evidence, everything happens after you're selected into the lottery. And those that aren't selected, they... they Wait again until next year. Wait again until next year or if... Like last year, they... Um, They'll rerun they, it twice, Right, actually. they reran the lottery, and some people got selected in the second round. So you can wait and, and just see if you get chosen. But the only option for you if you don't get chosen in the lottery is to wait till next year. Yeah. And last year, I forget, I forget the exact month, so I'll just throw... I think it was July, they ran it again based on who didn't submit a petition yeah. based on the first run. And then in the fall, they ran it again based on uh, who didn't submit uh, during the summer. So you get you can end up get, getting thrown in that lottery up to three times um, until it's until all of the lottery numbers are taken. Um, and then nobody can submit again until kind of like a wedding invitation list. Have you ever been to one of those weddings where there's, they have like a first round of invitations and then if some of the invitations don't get taken, uh, you know, <laughs> people decline to come to your wedding. Then oh, you can, and then they open up more spots. Yeah, it opens up more spots at the tables and you can invite some further flung relatives so it's it's similar to that process. Yes. <laughs> I don't want to go to one of those weddings. Um, especially if you're a tier three you get, you get invite. The, the C list table. <laughs> uh, me and my kids, we'd be definitely on the C list for one of those if we're not at the top. So if you're lucky enough to get in the lottery, then you can sim- submit that petition. If you're not, um, then you have to wait till next year. Now, what does that petition look like? Well, it looks like a lot of evidence put together to prove every point and show that you're eligible for the H-1B. So, yeah, you, you so there's forms that are required. Unlike a TN that we talk about a lot or even an L, you can't just show up at the border and apply for an H-1B, even if you were selected in the lottery. The process has to go through U.S. Citizenship and Immigration Services first. And not only U.S. Citizenship and Immigration Services, before that you have to work with the U.S. Department of Labor. And they have to verify that through what's called a labor condition application that the foreign worker is going to come into the United States and is going to uh, be compensated a fair market value in comparison to other people that are similarly employed in the area of intended employment in the United States. So, for example, if you're working in Erie County, Buffalo, New York, and your computer engineer, and they're going to assign a wage based on the requirements for the position. If it's a bachelor's plus three years of experience that are the requirements for the position, then they're going to come back with a, a wage level that the wage level that they use is in comparison to all the people in Erie County, New York, uh, that are in that position with the same skill set. Um, and you can't pay anything less than that. It has to be that or above, including not only your compensation, but also benefits and everything like that. You have to be given that you have to give a foreign employee the same thing you, you would to a U.S. employee employee that's in a similar position. So we've heard to that. I guess it's most commonly referred to as kind of like a minimum wage, right? You can't pay less or compensate, give a benefits package less than you would anyone else in that position in the United States. So the Department of Labor has to do that first. Once they approve the conditions of the employment, then you can take that along with your selection to the lottery and you submit it to 
U.S. Citizenship and Immigration Services. And there's a process by which you have to choose a position with the Department of Labor. And you have to research the positions. Every position in the U.S. is given a code, a job code. And that job code, when you look it up, let's say for, I'll stick with the computer engineer, it's going to say, what are the typical duties of a computer engineer? What are the tools that they typically use? What does that position look like? What are similar titles used for that position? It'll also list the education requirement. That's the important thing. What is the education level for this position? For a computer engineer, it's often a bachelor's or higher. So if you're looking at an H-1B, that requires a specialty, it's a specialty occupation, requires a bachelor's degree or higher, well, then a computer engineer would qualify. Because in in general, that, that somebody working as a computer engineer needs a bachelor's degree. Right, and there are professions that don't, I mean, qualify for H-1B, so you have to check that out and make sure, uh, you know, if you've gotten chosen in the lottery, you want to make sure before you submit your application itself that you meet the requirements, the minimum requirements for the H-1B. Most you, people check that out before they even, well, most lawyers would check that out for you before they you gotta even be careful, in the, right? in the lottery. Yeah, because if you submit under the wrong code and you choose the wrong position, right. you could be dead in the water. So you went through this whole process, you got into the lottery, now you select a position that doesn't even require a bachelor's degree, and you're done. So it's important to do that due diligence before you file an application. You need to verify um, that the wage being paid is a fair fair wage, it can't be below uh, what the Department of Labor says for that position. And you need to make sure that this position that, that you're being offered in the United States also requires at least a bachelor's degree. Because if you pull up the data through the job code and it comes back and says uh, associate's degree or um, job on-the-job training gets you into the job, well, that at a minimum is not a four-year degree or a bachelor's degree. That would not qualify for an H-1B. Uh, so that's very important that all of that due diligence is done. Um, and what One of the things we should talk about is the timing of the H-1B applications because for a lot of people, it's just not going to work. So the TN is great because you can just go to the border and apply as a Canadian or as a Mexican citizen, go to your consulate and apply. Um, timelines, very quick. You, you get a decision same day at the border. It may take you a few weeks to get an appointment at the consulate, but you get a decision the same day at the consulate and you're off to the races. Um, H-1B is not like that. That it requires patience on uh, the part of the applicant and the employer because we've talked about the registration for the lottery um, being done in March, the lottery being conducted the end of March, beginning of April. You find out the petition and application needs to be filed by the end of June for a start date. The no. earliest start date you can choose is October 1st. Yep. So, you know, this is a months long process that most employers, some employers, won't be willing to wait for that position to be filled. But if you have an employer that does and your position qualifies, it's a great, it's a great option. Yeah. So, you, yeah, it's not easily obtained like the TN. You just show up, right? You have to plan well in advance. Mm -hmm. And there are people on TNs that want to go to, to H one Bs too. Sure. For example. Go back to the infamous management consultant. Sometimes people are legitimately brought in as consultants, and then the employer says, you know what? We want to create a position, and we want to bring you in as you know, our chief operating officer mm -hmm. now. 
uh, we like the work you've done as a consultant. And then they would petition them for an H-1B. So they go from a TN to H-1B. And, and we receive that question a lot. Can I go from a TN to an H-1B? Absolutely you can. If your position qualifies for an H-1B and it makes more sense for you to be on that H-1B, then yes, you can enter the lottery and switch from a TN to an H-1B. And not only can you, you should actually switch over to an H-1B because you shouldn't stay on a TN if you're not doing the position that you are originally brought in for. So Yes, exactly. You know, in some cases, you have to switch to an H-1B. It's the only other option. And some people prefer it for other reasons. You can go from a TN visa to a green card, um, but a TN visa and those that are familiar with it know that it's a non-immigrant visa. So your intent really should be temporary in the United States. And if you change that intent, uh, you need to be careful. Uh, although you can go to a, a, a green card, if it's not done correctly, just having that immigrant intent can make it so you don't qualify for a TN visa anymore. And we do TNs to green cards all the time. But again, I, you have to do it correctly. Whereas with an H-1B, it, it carries dual intent. So you can come to the U.S. as a non-immigrant or as an immigrant, and it won't impact you. So for some people, um, let's say you're a Canadian, but you were born in India. A lot of times it makes more sense to switch to an H-1B before you do that green card process. Why? Because the wait times are so long to get convert over from your your visa to a green card. You could be waiting 10 years. Whereas a, a Canadian could file and there are, there are no wait times. So they could transition from a TN to an H-1B within two years and you're on mm-hmm. a way. Whereas an, an Indian uh, national would have to wait 10 years and worry about every TN extension in between there and whether or not um, they're going to extend them for having immigrant intent. Right. And um, that's because of, that's just because of the wait times for visas for people from uh, certain you know, countries, from China, certain countries, India, right? Mexico, uh, Philippines. Some of them have excessive wait times. So that all comes down to planning and what makes most sense. So some people on TNs would benefit from going to an H1B. Um, so it's something to consider um, when you're when you're contemplating when you're extending your visa. If you want to stay with that employer for the long term, can I do that on a TN? Um, does it, would it make more sense to go to H1B and eventually getting that green card? Thank you for for listening today as we discussed uh, the H1B visa lottery and the H1B visa process. Is, if you have any other questions about the H-1B visa, the TN visa, or U.S. immigration in general, feel free to reach out to us through our, directly through our website. Give us a call. Shoot us an email. There are, and we also have other resources such as YouTube videos that you can reach out to us as well. Um, thank you for listening and have a great day.